Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easy, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. Here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like I have an outlet for the creativity and ideas I want to share with the world. I recommend you give it a try. We all have a voice, so share it with the world. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. How many of these people down through the years have been touched by either the UFO abduction phenomenon or by the satanic abuse phenomenon or by the Freemasonic abuse phenomenon? Because it's all real. They have a common goal and they're, they're different avenues, but the, the enemy is using all of those for a common purpose. To create damaged, broken vessels that they believe cannot be saved. The devil has his own eschatology. He believes that if he can get enough people into his army, not just avowed Satanists, but all of these atheist people, all of these occult people, the Mormons, the Masons, you know, all these different false religions, to say nothing of of Islam, all of these different religions, they are all potential puppets of the evil one, whether they know it or not. His end game is, yeah, sure, he wants to weaken the church. Because if the church is full of damaged people that are broken, that are frightened, they feel like, I can't ever talk about this. Because if I do, people are going to either think I need a psychiatrist, or they're going to think I'm weird, or I'll get thrown out of the church. And they forget what was said for centuries, which is that the church is a hospital for sick souls. But we've turned around, and when I say we, I mean the typical evangelical, you know, charismatic whatever church, they've turned it into this triumphalist thing. that We all have to walk around as if we're walking on water, as if we have no problems. And you got to say praise the Lord on everything, and you know, and so these people don't know where to go for help. Welcome to the Days of Noah podcast, where we talk all things biblical, supernatural, and strange. Today, Luke and I conclude the second half of our conversation with William Schneblin. 
and we get into quite a bit in this episode. We talk Aleister Crawley, UFOs, Greys, the dread and terror that the enemy tries to put us through, especially satanic ritual abuse survivors, his goal to damage us beyond repair. We talk about the question, can a hybrid be saved? And Bill, as a naturopathic doctor, we get into health, food, toxins, chemicals, and how that can affect us, both spiritually and otherwise. We talk a little bit of Weird Wisconsin, where Luke and I grew up. We talk about Bill becoming a vampire and how God saved him out of that. How the Mormon church was started by sorcerers, his encounter with a Wendigo up north, and much more. Stay tuned to this one, guys. You're not going to want to miss it. Thanks again for everyone listening. We just do appreciate each and every one of you out there. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And just help get the word out about the Days of Noah podcast. We want to grow this channel to help encourage more people to be looking into these important topics. So thanks again for listening. And uh, don't forget to leave us a five-star review. That really does help to get the show out to more people. And with that... Let's conclude our conversation with Bill Schneblin. Do you think there's been a sanitizing? Because I hear this about like the age of, you know, enlightenment and uh, the age of reason where some of the more supernatural things, biblically speaking, are kind of downplayed. Because when they're fighting against evolution, for example, when Darwin became popular, that, you know, we need, we need to stick to the, the concrete stuff that doesn't make us look silly. So do you feel like there's a sanitizing of theology that our seminaries are cranking out pastors that mainly want to deal with the nuts and bolts, fundamental stuff, the, the easy to preach stuff? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think... I mean, oddly enough, and I'll put this b- plug in, I am probably within 24 hours, we're going to start producing our newest DVD. Ah. And uh, in there, I talk about the um, the three points of the devil's triangle that he's used to destroy Western civilization. And that's one of them, this uh, secularization and the the sending into the academics, the world of academia, the world of seminaries, higher education, all of these liberal professors, these Bible-denying professors. And like you say, a lot of pastors just don't want to seem like they're being silly or superstitious. And, And they get that, you know, and that's a problem because the problem is if pastors aren't preaching this stuff, what are the lay people supposed to do, you know? And it's really tragic because I believe that as preachers of the gospel, whether you're a pastor or evangelist or whatever, you need to stand to thwart the flow of history and the flow of sewage that's been pouring into um, America and basically the West, meaning like Europe and also Australia and whatnot, for the last really hundred years or so. 
and that's that's one leg of it. And the other leg of it is Freemasonry, which has entered the church big time. I mean, most churches, now even the Catholic Church, are full of Masons. And Masons are universalists. Masons are secularists. But more importantly, Masonry at its core is a pedophilia sacramental religion. And when a guy joins the lodge, whether he knows it or not, and he swears an oath and lets himself be tied up by this cable toe, it's called, around his neck, and I went through all of this stuff, you are bound to the lodge. You're under the headship of that the Grand Master of the State of Wisconsin, in my case, and all, there's this trickle-down evil that comes down from him because I have no idea who the Grand Master is now in the state of Wisconsin, but the guy who was Grand Master when I was in all this stuff in the mid-'70s, he was one evil dude. Evil. I mean, you wouldn't, you know, it's not like he walked around with a tattoo of a pentagram on his forehead. He looked like a very respectable businessman. But he was evil with a capital E. And may God have mercy on him. But so, you know, with masonry coming in and secularism and the social engineering that has been done. And then the third thing was the introduction by this Aleister Crowley, whom we've already mentioned, of this occult sex magic, pedophiliac kind of sex magic into the mix because Crowley became a high-level Mason. And so he he created this link, this crossbreed between his system, which is called Thelema, the Greek word for will, and Freemasonry. And then he went on, believe it or not, for a while he worked for British intelligence between the wars. And uh, evil, brilliant man. And, of course, he died in 1947, a heroin addict, living on nothing but opium and boiled eggs. Another guy who I would, would not want to, you know, be there on Judgment Day with him. But I think that's a big part of it. I really do. Wow. Well, I'd definitely be uh, looking into that resource, Bill. Um, yeah, I think there's, boy, you can spend a lifetime, and it's honestly worth it to be at least taking some of your time each week and looking into these things as a believer and becoming aware, you know, drawing upon the years of knowledge that you have and your decades in ministry now too. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm thankful, you know, for people that are starting to talk about this from a biblical worldview like yourself. Um, and that's, that's why Luke and I are doing our show. You know, it's these things need to be talked about. And um, for us, you know, the gateway drug for me was Nephilim. And Luke told me about that. And uh, (laughs) Bill, we actually um, we did an episode uh, a couple months back when you did a video about uh, that awful Disney show where where Satan has the one night stand with the girl. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we we watched that video and that was our discussion. That was our podcast was reviewing one of your videos. 
and I, I practically stood up and cheered when I'm listening to the video for the first time. And, and you mentioned Genesis six and the Nephilim because I was like, right on. I mean, that is so essential for understanding the flood and the biblical narrative and all this stuff going on with the, you know, the wars and, and the promised land and things like that. Um, but yeah, your average Christian doesn't have a context for this. They can go to church for 20, 30, 40 years and go, what, what, what's in my Bible? And, and they have no idea. But at the same time, just like you're saying, um, this stuff has been taught. It's been uh, in a, in a, on a large scale, on a global scale. It's just a resurged. You know, there's a resurgence of it. And it's been strategically um, intertwined with most churches. Um, some of the people that we're talking about, you know, they're tied into the Nazi party. Um, you, you got the aliens whole segment. You know, all that stuff is, is tied into that as well. Wasn't it Al, uh, Alistair Crowley that had a a vision and it looked like a it, it was drit, it was he drew it it looked like an alien gray that uh, traditionally um, dis- described you know around the world and that um, was years before Roswell correct. and yeah he he said his name was Lam L A M and that that he was this praetor human intelligence. And yeah, and I, I have a different video called Disclosure, where I talk about how there's this close correlation between the UFO abduction thing and magic. How most people that are, the, and I believe people are being abducted, I do. But, you know, as you probably know, I believe that the aliens, quote unquote, are fallen angels. They're not from another planet. They're from an alternate dimension of reality, and they can look like us, or they can look like, you know, walking reptilian beings or whatever. But I believe this, that's why I love the title of your podcast, that just as what happened in Genesis 6, it's happening today, except it's got a different costume on it. Right, and that, and that was part of Jesus's warning, you know, to his disciples, and then to all the believers after, you know, as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be during the time of my return. So, for us being wanting to be awake, wanting to uh, be wise, and to share this information with other people that might be asleep, that might be blind. You know, we, you got to be aware, you got to have a healthy home. Number one, you got to have a healthy church and you got to realize what's going on in society that is bringing us closer and closer to the Lord's return. And you just got to wake up, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. Wake up and smell the brimstone. (laughs) That's right. Do you, um, I, I, I know I've, I've studied some different ministers that were, kind of touched on the, the alien aspect, but others that were influenced by, um, there's one pastor in particular I, I'm thinking of, Pastor Doug Riggs, where he was trying to counsel and teach and have a healthy church, but he realized that he had some broken people. And these individuals were had split personalities due to being traumatized at a young age 
And it all is tied into the same things that you're describing, you know, from the sex magic to the pedophilia to the programming to all this type of stuff. And thank God the Lord taught him through the years how to help these individuals, you know, become healthy Christians again and really take what the devil was trying to use as a tool for his purpose. God, God had other plans. Um, from your experiences, have you seen how the enemy might be using some of that stuff um, in, in current affairs? I think there's, I mean, when we, when we wrote blood on the doorpost, we didn't really have the whole alien abduction, abduction thing in mind. But I think they're so parallel to one another, and you can minister to people in pretty much the same way. It's just you're dealing with a whole different worldview. And I think, I believe, I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard of this Dr. John Mack, but he was a, I believe he's deceased now, but he was a high Harvard professor of psychiatry at Harvard. And he started studying this abduction thing. He interviewed 45,000 people in America that asserted they had been abducted, had some sort of, you know, to varying degrees. And he believed, he said some of them were nuts. I mean, he didn't say that, but they were, they were off the rails, but he said, most of these people were normal people that were credible that had, you know, normal workaday lives as truck drivers or whatever executives. And they just got pulled into this terrifying world. And that's a key thing, because if you look at this stuff, terror is the key thing. Hmm. People report that if they're around like these little gray things, you know, which I believe are clones. I think there are clones that are created by fallen angels to do the dirty hmm. work. Okay. But in any event, there's this atmosphere of just profound dread that they emanate and you know, where, where people that are just normal every day, you know, like guys that go out hunting and fishing and, you know, perfectly normal guys are just reduced to being blubbering infants by the terror of this stuff. Now, what does that do to your soul? Right. And if you take that number 45,000 and that's from 20 some years ago, how many of these people down through the years have been touched by either the UFO abduction phenomenon or by the satanic abuse phenomenon or by the Freemasonic abuse phenomenon? Because it's all real. So they all run in parallel. It's they like all they, have a common, they have a common goal and they're, they're different avenues, but the, the enemy is using all of those for a common purpose to create damaged broken vessels that they believe cannot be saved that they believe are going to be so messed up and so it's funny because now everybody uses the word trigger you know like oh that triggered me but yep. that's actually a thing like we talk about that in blood on the doorpost it's in the psychiatric literature people with did you know dissociative identity disorder they all mm -hmm. have this phenomenon. But when you've got a name, I mean, you look at right now, there are more people in America that are on psychiatric drugs. I mean, I think it's like seven out of 10 Americans are on a psychiatric drug. Wow. That's scary. 
Do you and, think it's as simple? Um, you're answering my question, whether you realize it or not. Okay. Um, because it's, <laughs> because they are these these things are uh, been going on for decades, and they're different parallels. They're it it it's serving the enemy's purpose. But do, what is his end game? Just simply to weaken the church, weaken the bride, so he can't the bride can't fulfill its its mandate. Is it something as something as simple as that, or is there something more? The, okay, the devil has his own eschatology. I mean, he knows what's in the book of Revelation. He knows what's in the book of Daniel. He probably understands it better than we do, but he believes that if he can get enough people into his army, and by that I mean not just avowed Satanists, but yeah. all of these atheist people, all of these occult people, the Mormons, the Masons, you know, all these different false religions, to say nothing of Islam, all of these different religions. And if he can get enough of those people and have, because most of those people, let's face it, they have unclean spirits. Yeah. Because if you're not, if you're not a born again Christian, you have an unclean spirit. And they are all potential puppets of the evil one, whether they know it or not. And he believes his end game is, yeah, sure, he wants to weaken the church. Because if the church is full of damaged people that are broken, that are frightened, that have this something, and it's not just the UFO thing. I mean, a lot of people that are survivors of sexual abuse have this, like, nut of dread inside of them that they they feel like, I can't ever talk about this. Mm-hmm. Because if I do, people are going to either think I need a psychiatrist or they're going to think I'm weird, or I'll get thrown out of the church. And they forget what, you know, what was said for centuries, and Martin Luther brought the idea to the West, which is the church is a hospital for sick souls. That's what it's supposed to be for. But but we've turned around, and when I say we, I mean the typical evangelical, you know, charismatic whatever church, they've turned it into this triumphalist thing that we all have to walk around as if we're walking on water, as if we have no mm-hmm. problems. And you got to say, praise the Lord on everything. And, you know, and right. so these people don't know where to go for help. And some of them will end up going to psychiatrists who often will put them under hypnosis, which we believe is not good. We mm-hmm. have a whole chapter in Blood on the Doorpost called The Sleep of the Serpent. That's that talks about hug. that doorway isn't it it's a big time open doorway and um even if you or maybe trust, they'll get some your testimony of of finding some um some demonic power you didn't know it was demonic power that actually got the results you wanted so if someone actually gets a little bit of peace in their mind but they're using the devil's tools to get there they're gonna they're just gonna it's gonna snowball them just like it did you into the occult Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, Walter Martin, let me just say this. Walter Martin, who I was privileged to know and be on his radio show, he said the cults are the unpaid bills of the church. Because on two levels, number one, every cult was started by a Christian. Like Joseph Smith was a Methodist. And he wasn't a very good Methodist. But he wasn't properly discipled, and he ran off. Of course, he was also kind of a scoundrel and started his own religion. 
The same thing with Charles Taze Russell and a lot of these cult people. So if the church is really doing what it's supposed to be doing and discipling people like, you know, Jesus said, you know, go and make disciples of all nations. You know, he didn't just say, you know, get somebody saved and then leave them. And that's what unfortunately is happening. So, yeah, it's it is yeah. a real problem. Um, pick pick up where you were where you were going. So Satan is is building his army, and when I and that's my term I'm using for what yeah. you were saying. But when Luke and I, or at least I, talk about that, I'm thinking of the hybrid breeding program with Nephilim mothers and UFO abductees and all of this sort of thing. So a resurgence of literal tampering with DNA, as in the days of Noah. Uh, in order to build his hybrid army. But you brought up a very good point that there are billions of humans that he can get on his team too. So um, I, I love how you launched into that because one of the questions I've been asking people the last several shows, and it's kind of become a, a bit of a tagline for me because I like I like getting different perspectives, is that does the devil think he can actually win? And you said it yourself, I say it, the last few shows, uh, he knows Revelation better than we do. Couldn't he just tell his higher-ups to not have a one-world gov- government, not have a one-world religion, just keep things as they are, and he beats God on a technicality? Or if that's not the case, does he actually think he can win? <laughs> I think he's enough of an egomaniac that he thinks he can win. Okay. But I also think that at some level he is under the control of God. He's hmm. God's creature. And there's things that, you know, God will not let him do. And one of those things is not to break prophecy. So on the one hand, I mean, you know, with all the evil that's in the world, and I'm not like by any stretch of the imagination a Calvinist, but, you know, I just... You know, people wonder, well, why, where is God? Well, God is in every moment of everybody's life. He's there. You know, there is no place that God is not. And God is with these children that are being abducted. God is with these women that are being used, you mentioned, like as breeders for fallen angels or whatever, you know. And, you know, at some point, he's going to bring down judgment. But I believe the devil, in his egotist, he's the supreme narcissist and egotist. He thinks that he can get enough people on his side that they'll outnumber the people on the side of the Lord when the moment happens. Because he knows that Jesus said, you know, narrow is the way to everlasting life and few there be that go thereat. And see, oh, he's just going to have a couple of million and I'm going to have like eight billion and we're going to clean his clock. And what I say in the book, Blood on the Doorpost, is if he'd read the book more carefully, he would see that, you know, when he comes back on his white horse, we don't do any fighting. We just stand there and let him, you know, send the sword out of his mouth, you know, which is his word and just annihilate yeah. the enemy. So you think in his ego, he's, he's, he thinks in that chapter about getting thrown in the lake of fire, he's going he's gonna to squeak out an upset? 
I think so. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. I've never talked to the I know. guy. But I know. It's a hypothetical. I just... <laughs> but if you look at the way, especially the last century, things have been developing, and as you have said, you compare it to the day, you know, the Genesis 6, you can see a strategy there. He wants to defile the earth. And he's doing it with, you know, the, the stuff we've talked about. He's doing it with, you know, genetic engineering, with these MNRA things and these jabs. He's, mm-hmm. you know, he's creating monstrosities. Yeah. That, that you know, because way back when I wrote Blood on the Doorpost, I talked about part of what he wants to do is, is um, inject fallen angel DNA, FADNA into the human genome. That's what he wanted to do with Eve. And God wouldn't let him. But And I believe that's what, what um, the, the Mark of the Beast technology is going to be, in my opinion. Because if you are fully human, you, and you can attest to this, I mean, even with your testimony, and we haven't touched on it, dealing with vampirism and and as, as much demonic uh, possession that you had, there was still hope for you to be saved and to be sealed, to, to, you know, free of all that stuff. I feel like if someone changes their DNA where they're no longer human, because that might be the enemy's plan, like you're saying, then you can't be saved because you're no longer human. Yeah, what's your opinion on that, Bill, as far as the mark of the beast and uh, human 2.0 and... And, and not being able to be saved. What do you what do you think that entails? Well, I'll tell you this much. Way back in the late 80s, I was in California ministering. And I had introduced to me a young lady who, you know, her pastor told me that she was the child of a human woman and a fallen angel. And that at some point in her mid-teens, he led her to Christ. And if you were to look at this woman, she had very pale skin, very black hair. She was very tall, taller than I am, you know. And um, if she took off her dark glasses, her eyes were the eyes of a serpent. You know, the little slit things, or like a cat, something like that. I mean, it's hard to describe. And yet she testified that, you know, Jesus is Lord. Hmm. So I don't know if somebody like that, I mean, if that's just a fluke, or if, if really there is nobody, I mean, obviously accepting fallen angels and devils and, you know, whatever, any human being, and of course, again, is are, if you have your DNA altered, are you still a human being? And I think to a degree, I would say yes. Because, okay. first of all, there's millions of things in the human genome. All these little gene snippets and whatnot. We've only recently been, and I mean, that's not to say I would, I would definitely not recommend anybody getting these things. I'm not going to use the V word, but, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, because I have had, 
I've read an interview with a, a great man of God. I won't say his name. But his wife urged him to get the shot. And he said literally within a few hours, he felt as if the, the light had gone out of his life. Oh. And he, this was a pastor and, I mean... I mean, I, if I said his name, you'd know who he was. And, mm -hmm. you know, powerful evangelical leader. And he just, he was heartbroken. Because he felt like, you know, somehow or other, whatever was in that had, had like, stolen the light of Christ from him. And I mean, I know, I'm not saying he's not saved, but he just felt like it had blown a huge hole in the in the ship, if you will, of his spiritual life, and then he was leaking, you know. Uh, yeah, I've I've heard um, bits and pieces of a theory that that maybe the mark of the beast has something to do with turning off that ability for us to be able to connect with God. I don't know if that relates to the 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 pineal gland. You know, which, I mean, as a naturopathic doctor, I'm sure. sure you're familiar with, you know, the calcification of that through fluoride and other ways. Uh, but yes. Yes, right? So I don't know if maybe that has something to do with it. And maybe something like that happened when he took the shot, but I don't know. Yeah, and he, I mean, you never know. And I, I certainly want to judge this brother anyway, but I think also on a more gradual level, the kind of garbage that people are putting in their mouths, you know, and I know a lot of really good, solid Christian people that eat junk food. They eat all this processed food that isn't really even food. They do virtually everything wrong. And then they say, well, you know, it says that he'll eat any deadly thing and it will not hurt him. You know, and I don't think that's what, the Almighty meant by that, you know, any more than he meant that people should, you know, handle snakes in their church services. Right. But, <laughs> you know, to me, that's a sin of presumption. And yeah, I think so. I think that that if you are, you know, like even even like using fluoride toothpaste or having your um, dentist give you a fluoride treatment, all those things, I think, like you mentioned, are going to damage your pineal gland. And eating the wrong foods are going to do that. Not getting enough sunlight is going to do that. Uh, we desperately need to be more out in the sun. We really do. And um, and if a, if a great man of God, quote unquote, is doing all these other things wrong, and not thinking that they're wrong. Because nobody in the church preaches about this with a few notable exceptions. You know, like there's a Seventh-day Adventist that are sort of health conscious, but they have a lot of weird doctrinal problems. But generally speaking, you don't hear health stuff talked about from the pulpit. And yet all these people are dropping dead of cancer and heart disease and strokes. And, and I wonder if just having this it's like, you know, death by a thousand little nicks that that you gradually are kind of killing your soul by filling your body full of soulless food. And then you, on top of all that, and I've never even 
put this in, I've never said this publicly or even privately. I never thought about it, but it's like you pile up this bunch of physical and um, spiritual toxicity in your body. And even if you're doing all the right stuff spiritually, but it just like at some point, if you do something like, you know, get the jab or whatever, it might be just enough to kind of click something off. And right. like the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Yeah, a tipping point. I think you hit it on the head right there because we yeah. were talking about that in the beginning on how these um, different influences uh, that we have in this world, if we're not aware, you know, it can stifle our, our spiritual growth. So whether it's pharmacaea, the ba- eating bad, um, vaccine, vaccines we don't need, all those can affect the temple, which is our, our, our body, where the Holy Spirit resides. So I, I almost feel like there is definitely a remedy and, 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 a, and a way to detox from all that stuff and to use either spiritual warfare or just common sense, you know, to turn the other way and, and eat better. Um, mm-hmm. And it can positively affect your body and your spiritual life. Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's in all of the above, too. Like, um, you know, God God is supernatural, but he's also very practical, right? And so, you know, there are there are practical things that we do in, a, in wisdom and living well. And then there are, you know, there's, there, we're praying for supernatural intervention at times. And it's all of the above. It's not one at the exclusion of the other. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not one of these people that says, oh, don't go to a doctor. You just have to have faith because that's not wisdom. Right. I mean, Luke was a doctor, you know. Mm hmm. That's right. Well, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about Wisconsin, because this is where Luke and I grew up. And and you uh, beautiful state. You you lived here for the early part of your life or was it just when you were? Ten okay. years uh, from, um, roughly speaking, uh, seventy four until like um, eighty eighty four. Okay, all right. Well, you were you were here when uh, when Luke and I were born because uh, <laughs> we were we were born in the late seventies. So um, yeah, let's talk some some of the weird stuff about Wisconsin. And then I want to ask you some questions on kind of Freemasonry and things like that. So, sure. and and if um, we have time, Pete, I wanted to yeah. ask because uh, obviously your your level of the occult grew to, you know, almost the pinnacle that you could get right. to the point where because I've read books dealing with um, somebody that turns into a vampire or a werewolf type of thing, and yeah. and I would love to know. I'm assuming it was just your willingness to open up. I, I guess we're asking, I'm asking right Let's now. Do Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I, this is, this has been on my mind for years since I first heard it. <laughs> so a, a book that I read on this subject described an individual that is in that state has basically so, was so willing to, for the uh, demonic to come into them that their physical being would almost shape shift. You know, when it comes to someone, maybe like a werewolf or something. Yeah. And that's no, what I don't you know said what, you, uh, you, you observed, right, Bill? Sorry yes. to interrupt, Luke. Yeah. 
Go ahead, Luke. So was, I, yeah. I'm curious, like, so you got to that point, but I'd love to hear, and I don't know if I've heard you say it, how did you get free? How did you get well, it, out of that? It was a miracle, you know, uh, from heaven. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was in this very dark place. I was basically living on nothing but human blood and Catholic communion wafers. I couldn't go out in the sun. I had to have a job putting newspapers in boxes on North Avenue for the Milwaukee Sentinel in the middle of the night, you know, the morning editions. And I was not in a good place, to put it mildly. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You know, I was afraid I was going to kill somebody. Because I had a few women in our coven that were willing to let me bite them in the neck, one a night, every night, you know, so I, and that plus, you know, some other things that was kind of keeping me from going crazy. But um, I'll tell you, I would drive around in the middle of the night in Milwaukee, and occasionally I'd see some drunk guy staggering around or well it is Milwaukee you know or I would um, see a prostitute standing there and it would be all I could do to not stop the truck I was in and leap out and attack them you know free range meal and uh, by the grace of God I never did that but at that point where I was I was losing it really I mean I that's when this this um, lady, I mean, I'm leaving out a lot of this, but I mean, basically. Well, this is when you wrote the check to the Church of Satan right. and she was praying for you? Yes, yes. Uh, and then, you know, I just laughed at that. And then right after that, that's when the two teeny bopper Satanists from Chicago came up to see me. And they gave me these two chick comic books because they thought they were stupid. One was Angel of Light, and the other one was Spellbound. I mean, they're like legendary, you know, comics. I mean, they were put out in the early 70s. And, um, again, I just threw them in the door and forgot about them. But because that lady was praying for me, I lost all my occult power. Like, overnight, it was like somebody pulled a plug. And I was as sick as a dog. I was vomiting up blood i mean you know something profoundly physical happened to me and um i didn't know what to do but i think what happened is by the again by the sovereign will of god he turned me back even though i didn't even ask him to and then you know I, I had these comics, but I just laughed at them. And so the next day, the two Mormon missionaries show up. And, of course, I, like most people, thought all I knew about the Mormon church is that they were Christians and they had a choir and they had a lot of wives. <laughs> but I also knew because the Grandmaster Druid of North America who had trained us back in 1973 told me he was a Mormon bishop and the Grand Master Druid of North America, and a 33rd degree Mason. And he said that the Mormon church was started by sorcerers 
for sorcerers and witches. So if we were ever in deep spiritual trouble, we could join the Mormon church and be safe there and still believe all the witchy stuff we believed. But most people would look at us and say, oh, they're Christians. And so that's what I did. I, I kind of hobbled into the Mormon church. And um, I tell people God kind of used that as a spiritual decompression chamber. Because I was in such a dark place. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I could have gotten saved and I had my head explode. <laughs> like these fish you hear about. That so even... Yeah. Go ahead, Luke. So even though the Mormon church had that roots and you know, it's not a healthy place to grow as a Christian. No. At least they had uh, the Bible, you know. They, they had Bible, the King James yeah. Bible. And right? for the first so there was truth mixed in with falsehood, whereas where you were was just darkness. Right. There was no light. And, you know, the funny thing is, is I had, at that time, I had gotten a master's degree in theology from the Catholic seminary there, and it's, it's in St. Francis, Wisconsin. I never read the Bible, and I'd gotten all I had to do was read Kierkegaard and Kant and Thomas wow. Aquinas. I never had to read the Bible, and so the Mormons, for the first time in my life, got me to read the Bible, and I read the Bible through for the first time in the first year I was a Mormon, and it started to really minister to me because there's power in the Word. So, so let me let me see if I heard that correctly you got more bible teaching <laughs> at a mormon church than a catholic seminary well oh oh my goodness not exactly but you well know, you okay gotta realize, just, let me just okay let me, uh, okay i got my <laughs> seminary degree in 1980 at that time that seminary was crawling with homos wow i was the only straight guy in the seminary and you want to talk about Bible teaching. Yeah. I had to take a class in Christology. And, you know, the study of Christ. And anyway, for the final exam, this this priest, he was a priest who was also queer. But he was a graduate of Tübingen University. I don't know if you ever heard of that. But it's a very famous German University is like the fountainhead, okay, the fountainhead of higher biblical criticism, of the idea that you just look at the Bible just like you'd look at, you know, Moby Dick or, you know, The Tempest. It's not a divine book. And so for this class, for the final thing, we had to sit down and write an essay on why Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And I didn't do it. I wrote reasons and I gave passages out of the Bible why I believe Jesus did rise from the dead, even though I was a witch at this time. Wow. And I got a D in that course. The guy virtually flunked me. The rest of my coursework was pretty good, but he gave me an F in that final exam. So, you know... No, I mean, I knew a little bit of the Bible, yep. but not enough to do warfare. And and all the way along the way, I mean, most of the people right back from the guy in college, the priest I told you about, 
they were all putting stumbling blocks in my path. They were agents of the devil, whether they knew it or not. And this guy, this priest, and when I was a freshman, he was very charming. He was very good looking. He's probably also gay. But anyway, Mm -hmm. I I mean, he never (laughs) came on to me or anything. But I mean, all of these people, and, and, and I mean, the Catholic Church today is worse. I mean, I'm not saying there aren't many. They call it the trad Catholic movement. And they used to have a church in Milwaukee of traditionalist Catholics who were part of this St. Pius X movement. And, um, but but most most Catholic clergy are just nuts. And mm. 90% it of them... Makes, it makes me think of what you described with the Freemasonry, where you, you might be an entry-level Mason, and yet you attend church, you believe in God, and you... It's it's all very innocent. Yeah, you took the oaths, but the highest level that you described is an evil, evil individual. So you got Catholic people that love the Lord, and they they go through the traditions and stuff like that. Yeah. They might not be in the most healthy place spiritually, but they're not evil, you know, and they love God and are saved. But then you progress that all the way to Rome and the Vatican, and yeah. there's a lot of sinister stuff going on. That's the understatement of the year. Yeah. Particularly, well, Bill, with, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, because we were talking about Mormonism as well, and you have, what do you have? Is it a book or a video on the Temple of Doom yeah, there? Yeah, that's underneath? a DVD, Mormonism's yep. Temple of Doom. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, a lot of wicked stuff there. And then we've heard, you know, we're learning more and more about SRA traffic survivors you know, Fiona Barnett in uh, Australia, and she's talking about right there on the same altar that a good devout, you know, Anglican or Catholic would show up on a Sunday morning and go through and worship that same altar, not even underground it. Uh, you know, she's she's observing these incredibly horrendous rituals, killing children. And then um, uh, Jesse we're having on in a few weeks, She's talking about, because she's got connections to Wisconsin and Chicago, and she's talking about um, St. Peter's in uh, Rockford having, like, incredibly awful stuff, and then a deep underground military base under Chicago. Mm -hmm. So maybe we should get into that, but maybe I put uh, Wisconsin uh, lore on the the shelf for now. Let me me just say one thing about that. Yeah, um, Wisconsin. I didn't touch on earlier, but okay. Um, August Derleth, do you know that name? No. Well, he's a he's a literary disciple of H.P. Lovecraft. You know that, that name? name is familiar. Yeah, but I don't know how I know that name. Well, he is a um, a horror writer. He's been dead for, I think he died in the thirties, but. Um, Science fiction and horror and fantasy type writer. His stuff is very creepy. And he and August Derleth and Robert Block, who are all writers of horror. Robert Block is the guy whose book was turned to the movie Psycho. Uh. So, and that book was based on Ed Gein. Hmm. And anyhow, this whole thing with Wisconsin... It's like the, the, in these fictional books, 
they talk about how up in the North Woods of Wisconsin, there are these blasphemous rituals that are going on with black obsidian obelisks with unspeakable writing on them. The prose in these stories is very purple, to put it mildly. But, and a lot of people believe that they were mining true things that were going on up in the North Woods of Wisconsin. And you know the story of what happened to me with on Lake Moon near Rhinelander. Yeah, why don't you why don't you tell that? Well, okay, quick yeah, I was up there. Yeah. My parents used to go up there every other summer. They they'd rent a little cabin on this lake, and it was really great, you know. But one night I was out. And I think my parents were playing cards or something, and and this was a very much more innocent time where you wouldn't think anything of letting your twelve year old kid be out in the dark alone in the forest. But I was sitting on the dock of this lake right near the the cabin. And all of a sudden, all of the birds quiet. I mean, the cricket, you know, crickety sounds you hear at night just went dead silent. And it kind of made the hair stand up in the back of my head. I felt like something was coming. And I could look across the lake, and I could see the little lights of a few cabins on the other side of the lake. It's not that big a lake. And all of a sudden, I heard this wind. And then I looked around, and the trees weren't moving. There were all these pine trees and deciduous trees. They weren't moving, but this wind sounded like a gale-force wind. And I looked up, and the sky was blotted out. There were Beautiful star, you know, because you're out in the country, so you don't have any light pollution. Beautiful stars, and they just were blacked out about a third of the heavens. And I saw this giant humanoid form, like, striding over the lake and over me, because I was on the shore of the lake in this dock. And the thing was, like, enormous. It must have been, you know a thousand feet tall and it blotted out the heavens for a minute and then it moved on. It only lasted about 10 seconds. I looked behind me and I could see it kind of dwindling in the distance. And then the stars came back. The cricket started chirping. The wind stopped. And I found out later that they call the native Americans call that Ithaqua, the wind walker, the Wendigo. And I think they made a horror movie called The Wendigo in the in the nineties. But wow. anyway, that that really, you know, freaked me out because it mm-hmm. was like all of a sudden your you know, nice leave it to beaver view of the world is just ripped away like pulling a bandage off a scab and, and you're just wow. But And again, this was in your youth. This was you, yeah. Another supernatural experience that you had that influenced you, similar to Halloween night. That was at 12, and the Halloween experience, you were how old? Probably 10, 9 or 10. 10. I I couldn't, you know, know, like 60 years ago now. But yeah, (laughs) they, they follow, and I think that's what happened. Once you're touched by the leathery wings of darkness, then those things are drawn to you. It's like you've got a target painted on your back, so to speak. Yeah. 
And what I was going to mention, because you were talking about these survivors and whatnot, mm-hmm. when we when we lived in Milwaukee for a large part of the time, we lived on a, in a in a um, old blue house. For some reason, it was painted blue. On um, it was one block south of Wisconsin Avenue and Twenty uh, Seventh Street. And um, the funny thing is. They built a Methodist church, brand new Methodist church, right up against our property. The thing looked weird as heck. It looked like something out of an H.P. Lovecraft novel. I'm not kidding you. It was it was one of those ugly, profoundly ugly modern buildings. And those people in that church never came to us. They never talked to us about Jesus. They never knocked on our door. But in any event, I digress. So we heard through the grapevine about 10 blocks east of us on Wisconsin Avenue. It's part of Marquette University. Is this, it's called Jesu Church. You may have seen it. It's a beautiful, big cathedral-type church. It's Jesuit-run. And we found out they were doing infant sacrifices in the basement of that church. Oh, wow. And um, so we, now, now here, just feature this. We, as a coven of witches, declared war on the Jesuits. Really? <laughs> yeah. We, because they had because the Because they Bible? were killing babies. Oh. Oh. You had the moral high crown. <laughs> That's... <laughs> And no, some some lady who may have been very much like you know one of these two women you're you're talking about came to us because she kind of heard through the grapevine that we were fairly powerful occultists, and she said they they took my baby, you know they ripped it right out of me, and they maybe watch as they there's this downstairs chapel in this church, and it was in broad daylight, and they they slew this baby right at noon on July 23rd, which is a high satanic holiday. And then they had communion, quote-unquote, with it, you know, and drank the blood out of their chalices that they used for, you know, the, the Catholic liturgy. And and I, we just said, okay, we can't have this in our neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, I know looking back, it sounds bizarre. But we just took out all of our magical tools and we started, you know, sending curses against the the priests that we didn't even know who they were we knew they were jesuits because it's a Jesu- you know the 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 church is a jesuit church but we just started throwing you know uh spells of ligature and whatnot and i guess it stopped so i guess we won but then the funny thing is right after that is when i started getting hit big time with this heavy satanic vampiric stuff so the devil just got right back at me but yeah, I mean, you know, and why why there? You know, and I, I think there is some sort of weird thing that probably goes back to the Native Americans that lived there for centuries. I was, of I was just thinking that here because I wanted uh, to ask that question. It's like why are these things appearing in the Midwest and in your youth? So it has to be the something um where the land had been defiled. Let me yeah, let me piggyback. Yeah. Let me piggyback on what Luke's saying there because um 
we are fans of Dr. Laura Sanger. I don't know if you've heard of her, Bill, but um, she has talked a bit about uh, spiritual mapping where she and a team will do reconnaissance on an area and, you know, they'll go to the library, they'll look up articles, things like that. They'll do the, you know, the practical stuff. Then they'll, you know, some of them have some gifts of discernment and they're, they're able to discern certain things just by, you know, visiting an area and they'll, they'll find if there is some history of defilement and there are, there are four principal categories that she mentions in her book. Um, it's blood sacrifice and sexual perversion and broken covenants. And I'm drawing a blank on the fourth, but <clears throat> talking about the land being literally defiled. And then, you know, you, you move into a new house in that neighborhood, let's say, and you have no idea and yet it affects you. Right. So maybe, yeah, to piggyback on Luke's comment or question there, do you think there is something to do with Wisconsin's history? Well, it, it might be. And I mean, cause let's face it. And we talk of, we have a whole chapter in our book, blood on the doorpost about the whole idea of the need to remit the sin of the shedding of innocent blood over the land. And we have a prayer, how to do it on our website. I think it's in the book too, but you can download the prayer for free. And, um, you know, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know what tribes, I forget now, but what tribes populated that area before the white man came. But I'm sure there was a, a share of killing and wars and, you know, people whacking each other because that's what Native Americans did. They weren't the kind of sweet, nice, you know, flower children that modern media would like them to believe. They were just human, you know, and they were pagans. And and then I think there were there probably were some kind of serious devil worshippers because I tell you this Chicago is an absolute nexus of Satanism and and of course Chicago is just you know a short drive away from Milwaukee and I I think you know there was um, the Haranzan Club was in Chicago in the 60s. And there were all these different, I mean, right a block away from where we lived was the Rosicrucian Temple in Milwaukee. Karnak Chapter, still remember the name. I was in that too. And, you know, the funny thing is when we moved into that house, it was a rental. And we walked in the door. And we we had already signed the lease or whatever, and we were going, we were starting to move stuff in. We walked in the door, and we hear this voice say, "I'm going to kill you." And, the and funny, again, and the funny, you don't have the tools to cl to cleanse that atmosphere, to cleanse no, that home. No, we tried with our occult stuff, but it, you know, yeah. it's like spitting into a hurricane. And then the funny thing was, is soon after that, it got cold as it is wont to do in Milwaukee. And we found out that the furnace was this really old furnace. You had to go down and light with a pilot light. And I was at work and my wife went down to do it and the furnace blew up and took off her eyebrows and the front half of her hair. And um, 
I mean, you know, grew back, but it was a pretty scary thing. And so we demanded that the landlord put a new furnace in. But, you know, all the, and I mean, we literally had dozens of cases of people with haunted houses in Milwaukee. People would come to us and have us pray and get rid of the ghosts. You know, we were like the Ghostbusters, you know, 10 years before there was a Ghostbuster yeah. movie. Do you, do you think, uh, um, what's your opinion on that, on the hauntings? Because you mentioned that earlier in our talk, and I, that was one thing I was going to ask you about, because you, you talked about it in some of the videos that I was uh, listening to, yeah. about how, you, how that seance opened the door for a couple years of hauntings. Do you think people are getting involved in things of the occult and haunting their houses or places of business or what have you? Well, I think that's part of it. But I also think that when people don't understand when really serious sins are committed in a building, and by that I mean things like adultery, murder, homosexuality, and even to a lesser, a little lesser extent, reviling God. I mean, people that curse, people that take the name of the Lord in vain, this, it, it like imprints on the walls of the house. Just like you're recording an old recording tape back in the days. Right. Uh, with magnetic oxide. And, or wax, or, right? Well, that's, that's before that's my That's even time. older. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> You know, and and those things draw the demonic. Hmm. Like I, when we when I when we started doing this as Christians, I could walk in a room, like a bedroom, which looked perfectly normal, but I look at the wall, and the walls were covered with blood. You couldn't see it, but the rock, the Holy Spirit, would tell me people have blasphemed the name of the Lord in this room. And it's just like throwing a bucket of blood on the wall. And demons love so that. It goes so, back to what we were describing. It was a defilement of the, of the land. Of yes, that and, and I think that's a very legitimate thing. And, and, of course, what is, to me, the most grievous thing is that most cities have abortion clinics in them. I mean, fewer now, thank God. But, you know, and all of those things defile the land with the shedding of innocent blood. And and America is soaked in blood. Just just so, that one thing. And I'm sure there yeah. were abortion clinics in Milwaukee and Madison. And um so I I don't know really I can speculate, but I think there is something a little exceptionally weird about the state of Wisconsin. Um mm -hmm. I remember being up on Rhinelander. I don't know if you've spent a lot of time up there or not. I mean, it's a lovely area, but they, they always talk about the hodag. Okay. Are you familiar with that? I don't know. It's like it's kind of like the town mascot. Okay. But supposedly... I, I know this is unrelated, but this is still Wisconsin. Yeah. Pete, just a, a month ago when I was on the motorcycle going through Mount Horup, and oh, what yeah. were they known of, known for? The, the trolls. The trolls. The trolls. So I wouldn't want to live in a town that has all these trolls around. Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> but this this hodag, it's a thing. They have a statue of it in the downtown. See, and it looks it like a bear. It walks around on all fours, but it has spikes coming out of its spine that are like two feet long. It has a tail kind of like a 
like what I think the stegosaurus that has a tail with spikes yes. on the end of the tail. And then mm-hmm. it has horns like a bull. And the Native Americans call it the hodag. And they claim it's this bloodthirsty monster that prowls the woods at night and gives this unearthly howl. And people that, you know, that poo-poo it say, well, they're just hearing the loons. You know, because those loons do kind of make sort of a spooky sound. But, I mean, all of this weird stuff, and maybe maybe, maybe every state has its share of that. But for whatever reason, several books have been written. And, I mean, I don't think any other state except maybe California can boast as many serial killers as Wisconsin. Yeah. Well, you know, that creature, Bill, sounds, if it, if it did or does actually exist, that sounds like something, uh, a hybrid creature that, you know, the Nephilim crossbreeded. Well, that's... You know, we... Yeah. But anyhow, I mean, that's, that's very possible, but I, I don't know. It could be just a legend. Could, it could be. I actually any, any bought other... a little plaster statue as a souvenir. <laughs> any other strange uh, Wisconsin um, insights or stories? Well, this isn't really, I'll never forget the first time I went to the University of Wisconsin in Madison with a friend. And you guys probably aren't old enough to remember this. But there was a um, a political thing for the um, the president of the student senate or something of that nature, and they had this. It was it was called something like the Bucket Party. Okay. And the head of that party was running for president of the student. He said, "If I'm elected, I'm going to bring the Statue of Liberty to Madison." And they're like, "Yeah, right." You know. So anyhow, they elected the guy. And you know what he did when the lake, I forget which lake it is. There's all these lakes in Madison, but uh, the, the one that is near the university, he built a life-size replica of the nose up of the Statue of Liberty and <laughs> put it on the ice and then had a, a thing of the, 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 what do you call it? The arm with the, with the um, torch, you know, with the torch, it, yeah. it looked like the, the, the Statue of Liberty was up to its nose in, in ice. And it was painted. <laughs> it looked totally realistic. <laughs> I thought, wow. This has got to be the strangest university I've ever seen. That is bizarre. And, of course, you know, Circle is there. Are you familiar with Circle? Uh, I don't know that That's one. right near it's in a. There's It's called Circle Network Farm. I don't okay. know if it's still there. But it was a huge gathering place of witches in a rural area. I think it was southwest of Madison. Really? I mean, they had a, wow. you know, they had a witch when an avowed witch, she ran around wearing a pointed hat and she was elected mayor of, Wisconsin, of Madison. So yeah. you might Google that. I don't know if they may yeah, have folded, but I remember it was Selena Hawk, no, Selena Fox. And I can't think of her husband's name, but we used to go there for witch meetings and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there a was, lot of weird stuff. Yeah. You know, um, one thing you mentioned in, in one of your talks was um, that that someone in your group, Coven or what have you, had made a prediction about, you know, watch out for the ice. And then like a week later, somebody fell and got hurt. I did and that. You, I was. I oh, was, you did that. I did. Okay. I was giving a a uh, trance reading. I was a um, a medium, 
you know. Okay. And I told this fellow, yeah, watch out for the ice because you could break a leg or something. Yeah. And it. And and you said that uh, people at your weekly meeting it doubled after that because they they saw something that they could verify. Wow, he had predicted this, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And see what I what I believe is that the devil will pull things off like that to keep people under his thumb. You know, because if you if you're in a in a religion, whatever religion and you never seem to get any results, you're going to find another religion. You know, people exactly. aren't dumb. Well, some people are, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And Well, and when so, you see something real. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the point I was I was going to make about that is I think people are hungry for real supernatural experiences. And, you know, God's ecclesia, his his family here, we're in large part we're not walking in our supernatural authority and power and we don't know how to. Yeah. You know, we're we're not taught how to do that stuff. So you know, I think that's maybe the theme if we can pull one thing out of our the last couple hours here is is your experience of seeing things that are fascinating and alluring and powerful and unnatural. And, you know, we have the most supernatural book in the world, the Bible. Yes. And, uh, but, but we dumb it down and we, we talk about these stories like they're just stories and not, not real. Um, one thing I was going to ask you is, um, you know, you were talking about uh, one story you had given about trying to curse this lady, but she was a Christian and nothing was happening. Yeah. And I think you put it like this, that, you know, basically 99%, and I know maybe that's a generalization, but basically that Christians are protected. Do, do you feel like that's um, always true or is it up to the individual believer as far as what they are allowing in their heart and their life that, that maybe a curse could break through that somebody wanted to put on them? Well, no, I don't think it's always true. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of it depends on how faithful the Christian is in terms of, you know, walking with God and keeping the commandments, you know, things like that. Um, so no, I don't think, I think we could, again, sin by the sin of presumption if you, if you look at it that way. But I mean, it, it just pleased God to protect. I, I never even have met this woman. She was just the ex-wife of this guy that was paying us to do this. And, um, but she may very well have been a wonderful, faithful Christian who was really, really, I know well, she was divorced, of course, and she was trying to raise two children by herself. And that's always a challenge. So, you know, I mean, I don't know, but I obviously, and maybe he did it partly to protect her, but he also did it partly to just give me something to think about. Hmm. Right. Because it was not yeah. just me. I mean, I was doing this at the behest of this guy who was like the, what was his title? The Grand High Priest King of the Morning Star. How's that for a title? 
I mean, he was supposedly the highest ranking Satanist in the whole Midwest. And the two of us together couldn't do anything against this housewife. That's incredible. Because she was a daughter of Jesus. Yep. You, you mentioned in channeling, um, about like a false Christ, a false Jesus. Oh yeah. What would you, yeah. What would you say now after, you know, decades of being a believer and, and a lot of discernment from kind of living both those lives, what, what would be a telltale sign or, or if you have any remembrances of when a false Jesus would appear or, or with one of your colleagues would appear, what was the distinction between what you know of Christ in reality compared to that? Well, of course, a lot of it relates to doctrine. I mean, is what this vision is saying doctrine? Does it fit with the Bible? But also, every time I quote-unquote saw Jesus, he didn't have any marks in his hands or feet. And at the time, I, I'm not saying that's, you know, not something the devil might be able to duplicate. But we tell people, if you have any kind of spiritual experience like that, if you see what you think is an angel or Christ or whatever, you know, we just say, you know, Yah, rebuke thee. You know, if you're not of, of Jesus, get out of here. And if it if it is an angel, they won't mind that they'll they'll be pleased that you're doing what's in the Bible, you know, in the Book of Jude. And if they are a wicked thing, then they will go. They will literally flee. I mean, we we almost daily we have spiritual attacks coming against us that we can perceive in the spirit, and sometimes even physically, we can perceive. And we say, Yah, rebuke thee in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach or Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. they're gone instantly. Yeah. So that's yeah, that. That's... I mean, we just advise that. I mean, anytime you have any kind, because so many times the devil is wanting to give us spiritual experiences. And, right. and they're going to be counterfeits. And often they're going to be such good counterfeits, just like, you know, the story about the counterfeit $20 bill, it's so perfect that only like a treasury agent or somebody that's got one of those little marker things with dye in it that they use now can tell. And the devil's a much better counterfeiter than some crook down the street. That's right. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard reports of people that are going through uh, trauma and, and programming and that type of stuff that, that a false Jesus would be present to give them a sense like this individual that looks like they might be a positive is actually doing me harm. So in a sense, they're being programmed to not desire to be with Christ. Oh, sure. sure. Uh, They'll even have somebody dressed up like Jesus sexually violate a little child. I've heard of that. Yes, you know, the, to the have white that memory robe of... and long hair and a beard, and, you know. And, of course, that just totally messes up a little child for life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
wow, there's so many, so many more things I want to ask you. <laughs> well, I'm kind of Maybe. run out of steam here too. I mean, I that's that's okay. We'll we'll wrap up, but um. But yeah, maybe uh, maybe we can have you back, Bill, if you wouldn't mind. But um, well, sure, we can do this again sometime. That'd be great. Let let me ask you one last thing, and then sure. and then um, after that, um, maybe just say anything that's on your heart uh, for Christians to know these days. I mean, there's so much we could cover. We've covered a bunch, but maybe just you know today, this this year, this day, what's on your heart, and then yeah, tell us about your ministry and stuff like that. But one last question I want to get in is, uh, what, how should Christians deal with a local Masonic lodge in their area? Pray against it. No, I mean I'm that's sort of a pat answer, but yeah, I would I like you know we we have done things like you know marched around the Masonic lodge with shofars. Because if you're on public property, they can't, you know, they can't do anything. That's true. Uh, and, um, or, you know, this one uh, guy I know who was a real zealot, he used to, he'd go there in the night and he'd bury King James Bibles wrapped in like, you know, <laughs> cellophane or something at the, at the, at the four corners of the uh, temple. And he said, you'd be amazed how all of a sudden, the the tenants just dropped like a rock. You know what? You okay, you're inspiring me, Bill, because all right, I'm coming clean, guys. This is this goes way back, all right? Little anecdote here. So about twenty years ago I'm working at a hotel. And Bill, you know the Freedom from Religion group, right? Oh yeah. Well, I think they're possibly based out of Madison. Anyway, <laughs> they uh I was working at a hotel downtown. All right. So somebody's going to hear this someday and go, that was you. Okay, so uh, I was a fan. I'm, I'm still a fan of Ray Comfort, and I had uh, purchased uh, like a 100 or so of his little pressed pennies with the Ten Commandments on them. Oh, yeah. That he sells. Okay. So I had had these in my car or something like that, you know, if I remember to put one in the bathroom stall at a restaurant or whatever, right? And so this Freedom From Religion group was there for a few days, and they were in the um, you know, one of the ballrooms having their, their conference and they had all their, their books and their t-shirt, you know, I lost faith in faith and God, the, the, the Bible, the God's fairy tale or all these mocking titles, you know? And so I was in the banquet department and, uh, which meant that we set up and tore down their room and I was working one day and they had gone on their lunch break. And so we were refreshing their room with, you know, new ice water and cleaning up the straightening the chairs and things. So I had a handful of these pressed pennies <laughs> and I went, I went into their, uh, their tables, uh, and, and I stuck pressed pennies in between their t-shirts and in between their books. And, um, my manager never found out it was me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but she did get an earful from the, the organizer of the group. And she said that he just had a fierceness to him, just his look. Like you were talking about just a guy with a, an evil look, right? Oh yeah. That's, that's what she said he looked like. But anyway, <h <Hoje> now it's out in public. My little stunt you. 20 years ago. 
you know, come after me. Well, uh, this has been a pleasure, Bill. Um, I really appreciate it. I've been, I've been wanting to meet you and at least virtually and talk to you for many years. So, uh, so thankful to, to get to do that and, um, for your time, grateful for your time and, and all the wisdom and nuggets that you've shared. So, um, why don't you leave us kind of with where people can contact you, um, what you're up to in your ministry. Um, you mentioned some of your books, so I'll definitely be sure to, to, um, leave links for that in the description of the show once we post it. Yeah. Well, of course our, our ministry is with one accord church ministries, our website is with one accord.org, all lowercase. And we have all of our books. We have dozens of DVDs available. Uh, we also have I probably 500 or more prayers and free teaching things that you can download, including the complete deliverance protocol that we recommend that people can download as a PDF file. We have warfare prayers. We have all kinds of stuff that people can get at for free. And of course, we have our YouTube channel. And we also have a Vimeo channel where we're putting up, you see, some of the videos I've done don't belong to me like they belong to the Prophecy Club or Cutting Edge Ministries or some such thing like that. But all the ones that we have made, uh, we have up there for sale, especially for people that might be watching this from another country. Because sometimes it costs more to ship a DVD to Australia than the DVD costs. So we've got that. And uh, we're just about to come out with this new DVD. It's called Pedophilia, Satanic Rite, Royal Secret. And it's going to be kind of a scorcher, I think. And we hope to have it ready to ship within a couple of days. Wow. So, um, really but we, we have two arms of our ministry. We have the Bible teaching and apologetics and, you know, the YouTube and all of that. That's part of it in the publishing. But we also have Living Waters Ministry, which is to help orphans and widows and needy people. Um, so, like, we're supporting a whole orphanage of children over in southern India. And we need to pray for those people because you may have heard there's a lot of of Muslims running around burning down churches and raping and killing Christians and all sorts of horrible stuff in parts of that country. So it's a terrible thing. But anyway, so we have that too. And uh, we basically want to preach Yeshua, Jesus, and his his gospel and glorify him. And let, I, just to close, I just say, in the midst of all of this, and right now there's a lot of dark stuff going on in the world, but I am living proof that no matter how, as I was pretty dark, that he snatched me out of that like a brand from the burning and put me in a high place. And now, hey, here I am. I'm a minister. I've been serving him. I've been born again for almost 40 years now. I was born again in 1984. I've been in ministry since 1987. So, hallelujah. Jesus is Lord. And he's coming soon. And uh, I just want to keep winning souls and serving him. We certainly do covet people's prayers. We get a tremendous amount of warfare because everybody's mad at us. The Catholics, the, you know, <laughs> the Masons, the Mormons, the witches, they're all cursing us. You know, and we also do pray for financial support if anybody feels led to do that. Yep. Uh, we have PayPal, we have Zelle, and we have um, text to give function. 
on our website. So, like everybody, we need, we need funds to keep going and keep feeding the children. Okay. And so the best way, way to reach you directly then would be your website. What was it? With one with accord.org. We're having okay. a little trouble with some of the those kind of functions. So I just say contact me at um, my email, which is S N as in Nancy, E B as in boy, L E N as in Nancy at gmail.com. Yep. Perfect. Well, that's great. Well, appreciate it again, Bill. And um, yeah, you know, it's it's incredible what God brought you out of. Um, I encourage everyone to, you know, look up uh, Bill's testimony. Um, he's He's got uh, a, a much longer uh, version than we've been able to cover here, right? And you have your book, your autobiography again. What was the name Lucifer of that? Lucifer Dethrone. There you go. Yep. And... Um, we're we're serving the capital G God, yes. right? And there's a lot of lesser, lowercase G gods out there that love to flex their muscles and look pretty tough and mean, but they all cower at the name of the real God. So that's the team you guys want to be on, everybody listening. So thanks again, Bill. Okay. Appreciate it so much. Okay.